0: from van to venture. On today's episode, Dutch Mendenhall hosts PJ Teza, CEO of ModVans. Learn how Modvans Vans is revolutionizing the camper RV business with their new innovative van. Dutch and PJ discuss the reality of starting a business, how to attract the right investors, and what success looks like in 2023 for Mod Vans.
1: Controlling the heater, we're controlling the air conditioning, we're controlling the refrigerator and the plumbing, all with our own circuit boards and computer software. And part of the reason is because I'm a tech guy. I see that stuff and I'm like, oh, that makes sense. Oh, why wouldn't I control everything with a computer that I can upgrade with over-the-air
2: software?
0: Right here, right now, on the Rad Podcast, Explore Wealth.
2: PJ, you know, Tiza is a CEO, co-founder of ModVans. And this is an exciting entrepreneurial company, right? They're, they're building from ground up, but they're not a company that's just beginning. They're a company with revenues, with sales. They're, they're very successful, right, at what they do. And, and I just think they have one of the hottest... Arenas of 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 business in the and the world like where the world is changing, right? The modernization of travel, the modernization of you know American living, I think changed during the pandemic. Greatly. I think more people uh, had to go to national parks. More people had to go and yeah. travel in different ways and people found different living situations. But, you know, PJ, tell people just real quick, you know, what you do, who you are, and you know, what is business and how do you make money? And
1: I am the CEO of Modvans. ModVans has been around for five years. So for the last five years, I've been super deeply involved in Modvans. Um, prior to that, I have a, a pretty long career. I'm 53 years old. So and I started work at basically 16 <laughs> typing for a software company. So I've been involved in software and early stage startups since, you know, in, in, in all those years, I, I, whenever the companies get about 200, it's time for me to move on <laughs> 200 people. So, um, so, so I've kind of been in a lot of different startups, but all software based, before I got to Modvans. So, so this is my first hardware um, startup and uh, and it's been pretty exciting to, to do that. And then you know, one of the fun things about Modvans is that I've actually uh, got to bring in the software component because now we have these high-tech components where we're actually programming all the devices inside. Lori and I, um, we have three kids and we've always wanted to take our kids on adventures, hiking, um, rock climbing, biking, all the things that have gotten to be super popular during this pandemic, just like you were talking about. And, uh, and we tried a couple different um, ways of traveling with our family and we had an RV, a traditional RV, a Class C, 26 foot long. And, uh, and we had a great trip with it, but when we got it home, it just did not fit our lifestyle. It was too big. I had to pay to park it. Um, it was noisy. It was really hard to drive. So I ended up driving it all. So I kind of was like, Hey, what, what can I have that would eliminate the problems, but have the good parts of the RV? And. I you know, searched, I couldn't find the vehicle that I thought was gonna work for us. And I looked at my friends in the climbing community and they were converting vans. So I ended up converting a van um, in my driveway. Uh, so that's how kind of the, the genesis of mod vans. But when I did it, I was like, oh man, that was way too much work. I'm never doing that again. But after two years of people begging me, like everywhere I went, when I go to campground, go to the beach, people would be like, hey, you know where'd you get your van? Can I see inside? Um, after two years of that, I finally broke down and, and built a website, lean startup style. And just took pictures of my van, put a lot of information online, and uh, and that was the the genesis of mod vans was just you know lean startup. I built a website to see what interest I could get. I got so many people saying, "Oh man, I would totally buy this." You know, when can I? When's it going to be available? So I decided to to take it kind of the next stop for, for, further and see if I could get some deposits. Um, I ended up getting more deposits and <laughs> I, I had to turn off all the the phone and email after a while because I just got so many orders. Uh, so it turns out there's just this huge demand for this type of product. And so I, I researched it really carefully. And what I decided to do was to to become an RV manufacturer. So we buy uh, chassis. That's what we call them from OEMs, which would be like Ford right now. We mostly build on the Ford Transit, but it could be Mercedes or Uh, Dodge, there's different chassis manufacturers in the future. It'll be EV chassis manufacturers. So we buy those and then we do a lot of work to them, including making a lot of custom parts and stuff. And we convert them into these camper vans, which for us, we call them multi-purpose vehicles with camping features because they're kind of more on the SUV side than the full on class B RV side, because that was what I wanted for my family. I wanted something that we could kind of drive around every day that was a little nimbler, um, didn't use so much gas, and it just turns out that was kind of a uh, that was maybe a stroke of genius to to understand that you know gas prices were going to go up, that inflation was coming, and that was going to push people away from wanting to have these giant RVs. Well, what,
2: What's fascinating to me, right, is is it's kind of like there's a couple parts to this. One is I'm the worst camper, like in the history of mankind. <laughs> like, like yeah, it's not was. that I can't my fish. Dad. I can I can fish, right? It's yeah. not that I can't start a fire. I can start a fire, right? But do I want to? No like, you know, can I go into a That's tent? My dad, Right. Can I set up a tent? Yeah. I've, I've done all of those things. Right. But at the same time, like I'll give you this, this is going to make you laugh your ass off. But like one of the the last two times, so there's a place in California called Pudding Stone um, that, that my father-in-law loves to go to. It's like a lake. Right. And they have campsites and campgrounds. Right. And um, after after the the first trip, after a night of sleeping on air mattresses and and running out of air and and mosquitoes and other things right um and it's about yeah. it was about forty five minutes from where I used to live in California the next a couple months later we went back there and I told my wife I said, look, I'll go camping with you guys, but I'm gonna drive home every night and sleep in my bed and then I, and then I will come back right I'll come back and out I'll come back and hang out and and hang, hang out but like I am all about glamping and I think I think this is one of those 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 amazing tools but the r v communities have been intense like with the farms we own and things i can't tell you how many rv groups have contacted us and been like hey can we you know can we take you know five acres or can we take 20 acres and turn it into an rv site um because we own these these beautiful we own a lot of one of the investments we have is is farmland so we own these beautiful farms with and i don't know not even intentional but like i think all four of our primary farm locations have rivers that run right through the middle of them right and and i think it's for one of the one of the things we try to identify is upside potential. I think maybe the river has a lot to do with the upside with irrigation and, and some different things, but anyways, so, so I, so for me, glamping's all where all, all, it's where our world is. Right. And, and I think we have one of the most beautiful countries on the planet and it's so unexplored by the average everyday American that, that, that it gives you a way to be able to do it in comfort and not have to go in and, and be extravagant. What's an average mod van cost?
1: Uh, $109,000. Yeah. And so what we do to make that affordable though, which is kind of interesting piece of the puzzle. One of the reasons I became an RV manufacturer is that we can get you a 20 year loan on that. So you kind of buy it like a house. You get these long-term loans with relatively low interest rates. Um, and then the monthly payment becomes very similar to what you would pay for an, a new SUV. And it turns out there's 8 million of those sold every so year like, in the US. So there's so a lot like of people that can- So 500,
2: 600 a month, 400 a month,
1: yeah. Everybody was in a month. That's what it that's what a new SUV cost you uh maybe three years ago. Now a new SUV costs you six or seven hundred dollars a month.
2: Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I mean I think that's 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 great, you know, to be able to have. I mean, how much does a vacation property own, right? Or a beach house or you know, a house yeah. in the mountains and, and those kind of things. And I, I think, you know, there's Americans with money, right? And 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 then there's there's you know, every everyday Americans, right? And it's what do you put your money into, what do you invest in? What's the margin gap? for a mod van? And what do you guys, what do you guys make on a $110,000 purchase?
1: So our, you know, we have kind of what we have in our financial model, which is a 30% margin, which is amazing for for a manufacturer. I mean that, you know, if you're trying to sell software, then it's terrible. You know, a great software margin would be 80 or 90%. Um, but for a vehicle manufacturer like tesla is is operating 20 30 margins and you know everybody thinks they're amazing it's the most amazing margins I've ever seen in the automotive yeah. industry so so that's our goal we're not there yet you know we have uh to achieve scale, um, you know, there's d- different areas that we need to improve. Uh, we need to do a better job of separating R and D costs from manufacturing costs. So, but yeah, I if you actually look at the model and when I track against the model, we're doing really well. To, uh, you know, I think we'll. I think that thirty percent is very achievable in the next couple of years for us.
2: So, what do you what do you feel like you've run the last the last two years as far as 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 profit margin on an individual individual deal i'm not talking about total business profit margin because we'll talk about burn rate and uh, other things yeah 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 i
1: would say we're basically breaking even that's where we are you know we we operate pretty much on break even and then the money that i have taken from investors uh, which is about three million dollars to date um, we've invested primarily in expanding our production capacity and Mm r&d so Mm -hmm. so we haven't lost any money on a per vehicle basis but i wouldn't say you know we're really making money on a per vehicle basis yet
2: either so this is one of those interesting Conversations, right? And I can I can even see you when you're when you're discussing it, right? I can see your body language and those kind of things because it's all about investors asking us questions, right? And it's nonstop. So I've I've done I've done 30% returns for my investors three consecutive years, right? And and our stock price has gone from ten dollars a share to to twenty-two dollars and twenty-two cents a share over 12 quarters, right? But I'll tell you, I'll get investors all day long, and they'll be like, well, when I look at your PL and I look at your profit and loss, right? And they're like, well, you're running a negative, a negative PNL. And I say, well, we're an equity base rate, right? Our model is that we increase our equity and our assets. So we've gone from you know five million in assets to 120 million in assets, right? During during the last couple of years and 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 over you know 60 million in equity, right? And, and at the yeah. same time, I'm not trying you know the 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 $200,000 a month uh, cash flow that it goes into my payroll or mortgages or whatever is I'm not as worried about that 2.4 million as much as the 50 million in equity that we've gained, right? During the last couple of years. But that's a difficult thing because when you're talking about how do businesses actually work, how do startups actually work? So in your model, there's 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 a number. There's a magic number, right? There's a certain scale you hit when the 30% profit margin kicks in. And, and so, talk to me about that. And what, what does what does what does that number look like for you?
1: There's kind of two things that have to happen, and I'm just going to give you one example that I know you'll be able to relate to because you're managing these properties and stuff. So, you know, we don't have any dedicated uh, team for customer support right now, and we're we've delivered about 130 vehicles at the you know at the end of 2020. 2 It'll be about 140 vehicles. So we have a lot of customers out there driving it. And even if they're not having any problems, they might call because they have questions about, you know, how do I upgrade this? How do I do that? Right. And so you know the question then becomes is like how many vehicles do i have to be building in order to to afford to hire a full time you know support rep you know, the answer is it's more than i'm building right now you yeah. know i'm i'm not at that level yet where you know that i could afford to hire that person and that that's kind of different thing so for another good example is um So we didn't have any dedicated inventory employee. We kind of all shared that. We had a production manager who was dealing with inventory and our inventory is complicated. We have thousands of parts and we make a lot of stuff in-house and we have lots of vendors. It's a big, complicated, hairy problem. And then as you know, the supply chain got all snarled up and that meant that we're calling people every week to check on the status of our POs. And so, um, so I did, you know, I, this year, 2022 was the year that it really made sense to actually not just hire one person, but now a team of three people that are doing almost nothing but inventory. So, so, so I have to be able to build enough to overcome, you know, that, Um, where is that number? It's a little bit bigger than where we are right now. So if I say we're building five to 10 vehicles a month, I would say that crossover points probably for us would be about 20 vehicles a month.
2: So when you're in about 250 vehicles a year, you feel pretty comfortable. You'd hit that 30% kind of margin gap, right?
1: Uh, Maybe not the full 30. Maybe it would be like a 20. We'd be like we'd be starting to really feel comfortable though, where we could, for example, fund R and D totally out of revenue and not have to take money from have it be an option, whether we want to do it out of revenue. We're, we're really close now. I mean, like Mm -hmm. 2022, I took almost no money from investors. Uh, I think I had one $100,000 investment. So that was a total of, you know, investor money in 2022. And we operated the business and we completed a lot of big R&D projects. I have uh, five full-time engineers just working for me all the time. So, I mean, you know, we could go back and figure out what that cost is, but I was able actually to fund quite a bit of R&D, but I'm going to you know, in the end of 2022, you'll see I still lost money, right? I'm still going to be uh, slightly, uh, you know, I've lost the $100,000 that I brought in from the investor.
2: For yeah. I, I don't really consider that like lost, right? And so here's the thing that us sure. real estate. Yeah. St- it was an investment, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, the, like the thing us real estate guys understand, right? As we understand capital output, right? For capital, pro- capital improvements, right? We understand capital output for capital growth, right? If I, let's say, you know, I bought a farm in, uh, in Tennessee for $3.2 million earlier this year. Right. And, yep. and I know that it, it'll, it'll appraise right now for almost $9 million. Right wow. now that that's insane, but that didn't, that appraisal didn't come because I went and, you know, pinched my pennies and and I didn't put money into the property. Right. I put hundreds of thousands of dollars into irrigation into machinery and to technology and to different things to create that value for investors. Right. And yep. so what investors have to look at, right. When it comes to a business like yours, like you're in the toughest place to actually, and sometimes toughest place to raise capital, but that's the, 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 the conundrum or the idiocracy of, of what traditional thinking of investors are. Right. Cause the easy place is when you haven't begun yet. The easiest place <laughs> yeah. is when it's just an idea, right? When it's just an idea and like people are excited about it, right? Like this is the coolest shit ever, right? Like this is, this is yeah. amazing. Like, and, and, you know, you haven't dealt with customer service. revenue issues is yet. Limitless. You, haven't, you haven't dealt with supply chain issues yet, right? You know, you haven't had to go through the survival years, right? And, and it's fascinating because the, the original company is such a worse investment than the company that already exists, right? And already has revenue and already has products. But the the burn rate and the margin gap is something that peop, is very difficult for people to understand. And so what a burn rate is, is everybody is it's kind of like if I'm running PJ's business and I'm not PJ and you can tell me a little bit more about your burn rate. Right. But if I'm running PJ's business, I have to calculate like it's going to cost me, you know, eight hundred thousand dollars right this year um, for me to be able to achieve an 80 million dollar profit. Right. Three years from now. And 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 so how can I close that gap between zero and eight hundred thousand, and then continue to push to be an eighty million dollar profits in year ten or year twelve, right? And so yep. this is the fascinating part of of a CEO, and that's why also when you look at kind of one of the magic of, of Mod Vans is they have an experienced tech right entrepreneur, and so you get into this place mm-hmm. where you're having to figure out. These are things that other people can't figure out. I always there's a there's a have you ever seen the the movie uh not the movie, the TV show Super Pumped. No, I no, think I for an average everyday investor, there's a TV show called Super Pumped. It's about Uber. So when Uber started and and how they had to manage numbers and those kind of things, right? There's some things to be aware of, some things you can learn by kind of paying attention to to, to that show and and those kind of things. So, you know, for mod vans to to only have lost a hundred thousand um, dollars in PL when they're when they're growing the way they're growing and expanding is is actually absolutely phenomenal and I, and, I, and I think people have to understand that where they are at is is the toughest place to to do what they're what they're accomplishing. but as an investor, it should be the most exciting place to you because they're on like when you say like bell curves they're on that 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 the, the bottom part not the slow rise anymore, but they're on the bottom part of of you know the acceleration of their bell curve they might be you know twelve months twenty four months from 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 hyper hyper crazy insane growth, right? As an investor. And so that's definitely for, for our investors ways right. to look at it, right? I mean, what do you, well, how do you communicate with your investors? How do you talk to them about these kind of issues? Or is it hard to educate them because you're, you're asking them to invest? I always find that difficult, right? Because people think you're being selfish when you educate your investors because you're wanting them to invest at the same time. But I think an educated investor is the smartest thing.
1: So one of the things that I did, I think, is a little bit unique. When I, because I've studied, um, especially equity crowdfunding, because we met at Equity Crowdfunding Week, I studied equity crowdfunding a lot. I've read a lot of campaign pages, and one of the things that I found a little bit. Uh, You know, just kind of interesting and and that I did differently is I do try to educate my investors, not only, you know, with blog posts and podcasts, but actually right on my campaign page. If you scroll down, uh, uh, you know, to the bottom of my WeFunder campaign page, you'll see there's actually a section that's titled ROI for investors. And actually what it does is it walks them through, you know, how a person investing $250 right now could hope to, you know, see a return on that investment and, you know, because a lot of people don't understand investing in startups. So, and this is kind of coming back to your thing of, you know, why are you have net losses now versus, you know, growth and all that kind of stuff. It's because we're an early stage company. Company. Both of us are early stage companies, and it's actually what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to lose money early on if you have a sophisticated investor who's done this before, and and um, and so I'm trying to explain that on my crowdfunding page. Like, okay, you know, we're, here's where we are in our thing, and here's how we're, you know, just like you do with your your um, stock price. I have a similar type of chart on my WeFunder campaign where I'm trying to explain to the investors, like, okay, you know, here's where we were. Three years ago, here's where we are today. Here's where we're planning to be next year in terms of, you know, that equity. And here's the the exit opportunities because a lot of the people don't understand how the exit opportunity happens. And then also the timeline. So what I would I one of the reasons I'm educating people is because I don't want them to invest. I, I don't want them to invest their money, whether it's 250 or 250,000, uh, and expect to be able to get that money, you know, six months from now or even 12 months for now and you know have some big payoff right away this is not gambling you know it's an investment in a business that is growing and it takes you know time effort and energy to grow it and with a private company, you do have to wait, you know, because there's not a, a public market for the for the stocks yet. And and I want my investors before they make that investment to understand that so that, you know, when they do invest. Um, and I'll just give you an example. I had a, a gentleman, an engineer from NASA, make a, a pretty large investment, $700,000 in mod vans a couple of summers ago. And we had a big, long conversation because I want to make sure that he understood that, hey, you're going to, you know, invest the seven hundred thousand dollars in mud Vans, and you're not going to get it back next week and it's not going to coming back next year you know this has to be something that you're going to be patient with and you have to understand that there's still big risks involved it, you could lose all of it you know and if it's your your family's generational wealth we should have a big discussion about that and and so we had that big discussion and and i felt really comfortable that he knew exactly what he was getting into and he was still willing to make the investment that's the kind of investor that i want and yeah there was a I don't think he really needed to be educated, but I did, I was screening him to make sure that he had the knowledge that he needed to, to make that investment. So we could both feel good about it. And that's how I want to be for every investor, whether, so for a $250 investor, I can't, you know, it doesn't make sense for me to have a big long conversation. And for, for most people that's probably not a big enough investment for it to make sense for them either. So for them, I hope that they can get that information from my campaign page where they can read about it or, you know, Maybe in the future, we'll, we'll do more podcasting. We'll do more videos, you know, because I've learned that not everybody absorbs information the same way either. Not everybody's going to go to the bottom third of my campaign page and read, you know, five paragraphs of text about how they're going to get paid
2: back. Well, PJ, it's interesting, right? Because the model I ran for our business, I was so unfamiliar with the crowdfunding industry, right? I was so unfamiliar with the way things are supposed to be done. So when we started ours, we did the the, the non-traded public Public read, right? And so, with us being public, we actually buy our stock back from our investors. Um, and and so, but it was interesting because the model we went with was just a model I originally created with our first private equity rate D in 2015. And then I knew that I wanted to attract more investors. I wanted to be able to publicly advertise to bring investors in in, and those kind of things, right? But I spent you know a decade of my life consulting companies before before we opened our own private equity, you know, real estate fund and, and those kind of things. And so like, it's interesting how there's so many different models out there, right? And 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 so when you look at a company, it's like, do they have a model that can achieve success? I was talking with a group just yesterday and, and no, they won't be on one of our podcasts, right? Because as I looked at them and they were talking about their excited idea and they had raised, I want to say four and a half million dollars, right? For their business. Mm-hmm. And, and I was looking at their idea. I couldn't see the profit model. Right. I, I literally I'm looking at it. I'm looking at it. I'm like, where's the gap? Where's the profit center? Where's the income? Right. And and how? where's your distribution? Right. To be able to sell your product. And but then there's not a model once you sell your product for producing income. And it was an exciting idea and an exciting industry. And I, I'm not going to throw them under the bus because, you know, I hope they go and be successful, but I won't be able to share yeah, them. You never know, right? on our platform. Right. And and but it's not something I'm going to invest in. Right. And and because I'm constantly making investments and looking looking for investments myself as, as as I diversified, I think one of the cool parts about our industry though is you get a chance as a normal person to be an angel investor. You get a chance oh, as awesome. a normal investor to be almost a type of venture capitalist, and and win in an industry when guys like like the way I grew up doing paper outs, you know, um, you know, and and just like the way I grew up, we didn't grow up thinking we were going to get to get a piece of companies, a piece of businesses to be able to, to be able to get the big wins. Like, I think the guy invested in Uber, like it was like $10 million and it ended up being in the billions. Right. And, yeah. and, but if well, you,
1: every investor of Amazon, I, it's interesting, his little thing, he had like 30 angel investors in the uh-huh. beginning and they all invested relatively modest amounts by, t- but they're all billionaires, right? Yeah. All those investments became worth, uh, you know, not every company's going to be an Amazon, but I always oh, think it's yeah. interesting because, I looked at the list and I was like, oh man, they invested like a hundred thousand bucks, you know, in the online bookstore version of Amazon too, by the way, not the, not that we're going to take over the world version of Amazon. So that, yeah, yeah, that's like, you know, it's like 20 or 30 people, but yeah, then they went back to the list and they're all billionaires and you're like, oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: And, and any angel investor in the world will tell you that variety and picking your winners is important. Right. And, but you know, out of the 10 companies you think that are going to be winners, right? It's, it's, it's the one you thought was most likely going to be a winner is probably not the one you thought <laughs> least likely was going to succeed is probably going to finish in the middle somewhere. And it's one of those eight in the middle that actually ends up being being the home run, right? And for us, we're a little bit different in the sense like there's not the kind of, like there's never going to be a thousand percent return for our investors, right? It's it's going to be, you know, a moderate year after year uh, investment return, you know, because it's invest, you know, our stuff's in, in real estate, right? There's, yeah. there's not a cap, you know, in mod vans, right? In mod vans- it's, it's as big old risk as the industry. Thing, is. Right. You know? So again uh,
1: lower risk because you have assets that you're actually purchasing, right?
2: Yeah. But then the reward's not quite as, you know, yeah, as, there's theory. But there's as, it's like, all buckets. Like richest man in Babylon. Have you ever read it? Mm-hmm. You gotta read it. It's one of my favorite okay. books. Yeah, yeah. Send me the link. And it's super short. It's like a it's like literally, it's like a parable book, like 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 quick, right? And one of, one sure. of the things they talk about in that book is just your money being in buckets right? And being in different buckets and, and you got to go with your high risk bucket with, with, with extremely high upside, right? You have to have that bucket playing all of the time. Right. And now within that bucket, you should be smart and make good investments and in there, and then you have your other bucket, which is, you know, I don't know what you call, you know, bonds or or different things, you know, where you're getting your 1%, 4% Government guaranteed, uh, yeah,
1: bonds guarantee, my you has. know,
2: that kind of stuff. Right. <laughs> uh, for me, there's better ways to get guaranteed returns, but yeah the the um but but yeah, then you have that bucket, and then you have your buckets you know, that are in the middle with more more moderate risk and different things. and so, as an investor, I think diversification is always important. I think having the different buckets is is really important. Now let's talk about you as an investor, like what do you look at? How do you see things right? You're an entrepreneur, a business owner, but you go and look at investments, how do you look at it?
1: I would say prior to crowdfunding, I was not an investor, so um, my dad is is an active investor. at one point in time he was a day trader. And he um, got me involved on the computer side, so we built computer models. You know what we call quaint trading at this mm-hmm. time, um, and and I did some of that. And and in the end, I felt it. I found it very unsatisfying. It was not interesting to me. It was just like moving numbers around on a spreadsheet, and it, you know, there was something missing. And and I couldn't have, I couldn't put my finger on it at the time, but that kind of just got me. I I mean, if you want to talk about options and trading and shorting and pushes and calls and puts and calls i i do actually know all the terminology and i could invest as a day trader i don't know that i'd make money at it but i i would at least know what i'm doing <laughs> more than some people on robinhood right they're like oh yeah let me get this margin loan and buy some puts and calls but anyway um so so i understand all that but i was never attracted to it but now that i and actually i kind of got into it through Modvans, but now that I'm in Vodvans, I find myself going out there onto the crowdfunding sites and finding entrepreneurs that I really like and what they're working on and um, and then you know making an investment, not necessarily a large investment because I have most of my wealth is wrapped up. I'm, 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 the, I'm the one bucket guy. I always put the most money in my businesses. so I have about a million dollars of my money invested in Modvans. so so um, I will say know, I will say this, not as including an,
2: my equity. <laughs> as an investor, that's very bad right but as investing <laughs> into an entrepreneur that's what you want right you want your entrepreneur who's all, all in. in you want all your investor in, all
1: who's, the cards in. who's who's, who's so, putting so, everything so into anyway it, but so. i do i i like um so as i've gotten into this hardware thing what i've started to realize about hardware in particular is if you can find a team and and it's not really specific to hardware but the lesson is kind of general if you can find a team that is working and they have you can tell how much work and sweat that they have put in to get to a certain stage and whether or not that stage is actually the awesome stage or not i feel like that that is a team that um is likely to pit, be able to pivot as long as they have the time necessary that they're mm-hmm. going to be successful in some way or fashion now do
2: you feel like um, with in, mod vans in- it's just fired into my brain um do you feel like with mod vans that down the road you know, in the next, let's say, you know, the next couple of years that there's the potential with your ability with software, right? You think there'll be some patents. You think there'll be some things will go come out maybe in other vehicles or other industries. Where you guys are being innovative uh, yeah, because it's not like absolutely. Ford and it's not like Ford and Chevy are being innovative at this point. Right. So it, it's a small, it's, you they're, know. they're
1: just playing catch up to Tesla. They're yeah. trying so hard. It, it's, it's actually, so I've been really following the, the electric vehicle industry and just the, the vehicle industry in general. And it's so crazy to me how they just copy and paste Tesla every chance they get. So my, my wife has a mach this Ford's EV and it's actually, I would say the best EV that's not Tesla right now, And it's just crazy how much they just copied them. They have the big screen on the dashboard. They have the vents that are minimalist. I mean, like every little detail. It's just like, oh, the the roof, you know, the big glass roof. Who did that? You know, I mean, it's like, oh, man, like every little thing, they just copy them. And, yeah, uh, my brother yeah, just so, bought
2: the the Rivian. The Rivian, I think yeah, is how you Rivian. say it. Yeah, he, he I would say the, Rivians. Yeah.
1: They do have some stuff that Tesla didn't have. They work really hard on their suspension, I and mean, there's some like super technical things. But I would say Rev- Rivian is more innovative than what I really see in the Machi. I mean, don't make it wrong. The Machi is a beautiful car. It's rocket fast. Um, The charging network's lame, but that's a whole different success story. But um, it's a nice car, but it's not innovative. You know, they bought their cells from LG. So anyway, coming back to ModVans, we are very innovative. We have all this technical stuff that we've done that is an area that's parallel to that where we're controlling the heater, we're controlling the air conditioning, we're controlling the refrigerator and the plumbing, all with our own circuit boards and computer software. And part of the reason is because I'm a tech guy. I, I see that stuff and I'm like, oh, that makes sense. But I'll tell you this is, you know, once you start controlling things with circuit boards and software and a central computer, it just makes sense. You're like, oh, why wouldn't I control everything with a computer that I can upgrade with over-the-air software? And and it's just a different mindset, whereas Ford and those guys are like, how can I go from where I am today to, you know, to have 90% of the features that Tesla has with the minimum amount of investment? I mean, their, I, their <clears throat> totally different.
2: I, I have a navigator, right? And yeah. and 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 yeah, you know my tech and in, in, in my navigator, and I have a 2022 navigator, right? And I got you know the best you know best version that I could yeah, sure. figure out, right? And and it's behind, you know the yeah. the, the, the the TV never screens, catch up the TV screens. They, they're just working at it from a different angle. <laughs> the TV screens for my six-year-olds, like you got to download something on an iPad and then it's got to project to the TV screens. Why they just didn't make them iPads in the yeah. first place? And then my touch screen. I yeah. literally have to reach across to do my navigation or to do different things on my touchscreen. Like, you know, there, there's just things that, that, that I realize Now, they have the most comfortable seats of any seats I've ever sat yeah, they, in. They got in the auto part
1: correct, right? That's yeah. how the, the Mach-E is. It has beautiful seats. They're beautiful. They're so comfortable. The interior is very finished, but... Uh, I'll give you another example about the Machi, just because you know we have it. So we took it in, we left it for vacation because they need to do the last. Lori's had it for a year and a half. When we bought it, they were like, "We're going to do over-the-air software updates, right?" And uh, but it's not <laughs> quite ready yet. You, you're going to give you the car, and we're going to do it right. So a year and a half later, after we took delivery of it, now we were one of the early, you know, we have the launch edition or whatever. A year and a half later, we take it to the dealership to go on vacation. Three weeks, we come back and pick it up. And they're like, we didn't put the, we didn't do anything. We didn't put the upward date on it. And the reason why is because we had another car in here, uh, another Maki, and we put the update on it. And that car hasn't uh, been able to start up since then. We haven't been able to drive it since then. That was a month ago. And we're waiting <laughs> on Ford to give us a solution. And in the meantime, we're not putting that update. So here we are like two years later, it's still no over the air updates. And my point is <clears> not <throat> that Ford's not trying hard. I totally believe they are, but they just don't know how to do it. And I'm going to give you a contrast is you know tesla had working over the air updates pretty much since day 1 as far as i know and modvans has working over the air updates i have three circuit boards with firmware on them i can update them over the cloud we have so let me done ask you this with- question let me ask you this question
2: yeah. so if tesla came and made you a nice lucrative offer right tomorrow right is that something you would you would yep. consider and is that kind of one of your plans
1: so so early on in the beginning of modvans i it was just Lori and i at the time But we had a very heart to heart decision about how we want to run the business. Is this going to be a business that we're going to try to, you know, it's going to be where our kids are going to come work and all that kind of stuff. Or is it going to be an investor based fast growth business? And we have chosen the investor based fast growth business. And so if there is an exit opportunity that is good for all of our investors that, you know solves the risk problem once and for all then we would take it i mean obviously you know as we grow that that point gets kind of the balancing point is different so right now if you were to come to me and you know make me a lowball offer i'm not going to take it because mod bands has satisfied a lot of the risk we're you know like you said we're on the the bottom of that hockey puck and i'm not gonna you know trade going up the hockey puck for you know some kind of just oh well you know I'm not tired of Modvans, you know, I'm not ready to give it up yet. But at the same time, I would take an honest look at any offer that was on the table. For
2: the um, best of your investors. Yeah, yeah. I think you have to always consider that, right? For for your investors. And, you know, in a REIT we're 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 a different model. And at the same time, I have you know co-owners, and I have seed investors, right, that that joined us, you yeah. know, at, at the startup phase. And I would always have to take that into consideration. And I think even in our contract with them, we actually wrote a buyout for them if if we hit certain, like if we if we came and were offered a hundred million, right, to sell our management company for our REIT, then at that point in time, you know, we we would either have to buy them out, right. Um, if we wanted yep. to continue yep. to run and those kind of things, which i'm not you know wouldn't be against either or 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 take the offer right? um, or they can stay in and 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 ride the ride. I think when you look at our models, one of the similarities is is it's very best like we're gonna make our decisions best for our investors right and 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 sometimes Absolutely. that's not best for me, sometimes that's not best for a piece of real estate for you, sometimes it's not you know, but it is the best decision you know for for the investors and i think i think that there's a lot of you and I have a lot of agreement with, with that part of it for you, what is biggest moves this year? Like 2023, right? Hit it with authority. Right. Um, you know, literally, you know, a couple of days right before the, uh, New Year, I did a I did a, a Zoom call with you know five six hundred of our investors and and I just talked about twenty twenty three predictions. What's big for us in twenty twenty three? So what is it for Mod Vans? What what are the big moves? What do you need to do to know you get to that that twenty to thirty percent margin by the end of the year?
1: Or twenty twenty one and twenty twenty two, the economy was kind of uncertain and our ability to do things was a little bit uncertain. So what we did as a strategy, as a business strategy, is we kind of doubled down on R and D. So You know, coming at the end of 2022, we're literally have all these high tech vehicles that have our new battery system, patent pending, um, you know, all this new technology and and it's finished. So, you know, we're coming out of 2022, you know, six models. We just had one model when we launched. And when we started in 2021, we really only had two models. And so now here we are, 2022, with six models, three of them being these super high tech things, which
2: is really good. Because I'd say the last two years, technology went backwards in in vehicle manufacturing in the U.S. I really feel, (laughs) I don't, I don't feel like it went ahead. I I feel like they're they're the. The, some of some of the luxury vehicles, especially, I know that the tech I feel like the tech's gone backwards. So that that that's a really good thing to do during during that period of time. The reason
1: they're going backwards is because they're trying to catch up with Tesla and they're pushing in ways that are not comfortable to them and they're they're messing up
2: basically. I mean, you look at
1: Ford with their massive recalls. They they have the most recalls of any manufacturer. They, you know, the the CEO is saying we're focusing on quality because we have all these issues. But the reason why they haven't quality is because they're pushing really, really hard and they're not good at that game like a startup like mod vans can be. Um, and then, um, so so anyway, so for 2023, what we see is a consolidation of our gains. That's what I'm going to call it. We've made all these gains in R&D. Now let's push that into production. So that, because that's kind of the manufacturing thing is like, okay, it, it's great to have concept vehicles or great technology, but it really only counts when we deliver it to paying customers. And that's, I mean, that's a huge focus for us. And so now in 2023, we really want to take that time in conjunction with that, I'm going to spend a lot of time raising money. So I have, in in all honesty, in 2021, 2022, I probably did not spend enough of my time as a CEO, uh, focused on actually raising money. And, you know, and so we're going to do that now, we're going to really focus on raising money and have that capital that we need to, to double down on production, to get these awesome vehicles into the hands of more and more customers, because that's, also it coming back to you know what you know what does impress investors you know oh well, yeah we I have a technology i well, say, of guys th- say th- they th- have technology but you know is it is it being delivered to customers is it is it actionable in terms of making revenue for you know that people can see
2: and i'll say this to your investors i'll say it to my investors right the day a ceo doesn't think that they need to raise money to to grow right it's the day that person should stop being a CEO right and, yeah. and and there's there's one of three things that's happening you're either a CEO who knows you're gonna raise money or your CEO who doesn't realize he he needs to raise money <laughs> or your CEO who's raising money right and and for me for me I, I I know that we we are gonna continuously raise money in different ways to continue to to grow our company and you look at Tesla as a great example I mean I don't know how many years Tesla ran in the black before they ran right? Positive, but it was a long time. Right. And I remember my lack of understanding. This is just crazy. My lack of understanding of the investment world back then, you know, in my twenties, like, you know, I I was 23, 24. I didn't really even know what a credit card was. Right. So, you know, it's, it's fascinating how, you know, you go through these advancements, you go through these evolutions, you know, as, as human beings. But I remember I used to look at Tesla and I'm like, how can they be successful? I said, how can they still exist? How can they not go bankrupt? How can they not this? They cannot that, right? And obviously, you know, Elon's one of the smartest men in the world, and 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 it's amazing where he combined the tech brain with the business brain, right, and the financial brain, because those all three are different different types of, of of unique geniuses, and so you know, for me, it, it was it was enlightening to me to start studying models and so i started studying all kinds of business modeling and and i studied you know reits and and how long they ran before they hit pnl you know profit how many were equity versus versus cash flow reits how many were this versus that and and with businesses it's very very similar right and you can choose to be a very small business that is absolutely a choice and that's something my partners and i sat down and we had deep long conversations about just like you and your wife did right but but the bottom line is if you make the decision that you're going to be a rapid growth, you're going to be a growth-based based company, then it takes capital and to grow. I'm going to do a couple quick disclosures just because we're kind of diving deep into the money and different kinds of things. One is okay. is, is PJ didn't pay me, pay me right to be on our podcast today. There's no financial exchange nope. okay. or thing between between our company and ModVans. I look at thousands of investments, right? And I've been able to build you know, multiple, you know, seven figures, and then eight figures, and then a nine figure, and then a and then a, and then a multiple nine figure, right? Empire, um, through through investing, and and so I look at these companies, I look at these businesses every day, nonstop, and so when I met PJ and his team, it was it wasn't about, you know, what what can I get from PJ and his team? It was about hey, they have an amazing culture, they have a kick-ass product. Let me let me let me get deeper. Let me let me understand who they are, and then I wanted to share that with you as our investors, the same thing with PJ, right? He's not, I'm not compensating him or anything like that. There's, there's a, there's times in life where you hit, you know, some synergy or some, what I call, you know, magic, magic relationships. Right. And you see things that 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 are worthwhile. And I'm, I'm looking at, you know, I was one of the the keynote speakers at crowdfunding week where everybody comes to learn about, you know, crowdfunding companies and, and, and industries and those kind of things. And so as we dove deep, I found that Modvans was a company that like, Hey, I'm going to tell people about them. I'm going to give them exposure. As a CEO, you're trying to raise capital. It, it is a hard fought journey. And if I can make that a little bit easier with exposure to, to our tribe, that's awesome. Neither one of us are given any financial advice here. Neither one of us are lawyers. We're not CPAs, right? So, you know, consult your professionals if you need to consult your professionals for stuff. And so as we discuss this... But PJ and I are talking about our stuff from our knowledge, from our experience, from our background of running companies, of running businesses, of running successful companies, of running successful businesses. And so as, as we share today, you know, I think for you guys taking some notes on some of the detailed decision making things we are and that way, as you go and look at other companies and you're looking at other versions of investments, you can start to to create some comparisons because only when you've looked at a thousand companies or a hundred companies that you can start to pick pick ones that are different, ones that separate. And and your culture is not something you know you probably talk about as much, right, PJ, when it comes to when it comes to your investors and those kind of things. But I think it's one of your great assets. When I met your t- team and your people, and their passion for your product and, and and those kind of things. I was very excited about who they are. So maybe just kind of kind of touch on that a little bit because I think it's it's an asset that you can't put a financial number on. It's not a piece of technology. It's not a sale. But the DNA of a, of a company, I think, is sometimes even more important than some of the, some of the other aspects.
1: Yeah, that's that's an interesting um, question because if you look at what you know, we talked a lot about Elon Musk. And he's known as a very tough boss. And just look at what he did to Twitter. He came in and he fired a lot of people. There's a lot of people that don't have jobs now. And so, you know, what's going on there? And you know, how does that relate to his previous success? And what can we learn from that? You know, because I'm, I'm like you. I'm, I'm like watching that and like, what can we do different? Um, you know, one of the things that I've, I've come out of, you know, this long history of working for various size companies. I told you earlier, I don't really like to work for companies that get bigger than 200 employees. And, you know, you know, introspecting on that is like what really happens there. And it's kind of like, you know, what I understand about what we're doing anyway. and And I know it's the same for you. I know the reason you're being successful is because you're obsessed with researching all the time. I mean, you told me earlier. You know, you're just and, and my son's the same way. He's he can't help it. He's always on, you know, all the LoopNet, Zillow, every different media just looking for that next deal. And so, I look for the people that are that way about technology and, you know, vans and and what we're doing. I look for those people who are going to have that passion. And so you know, we do a couple of things. One is when we put an ad out there on, you know, to to look for employees, if you look at our ad, it's actually, I, I want to say it's scary. And and I'm going to go back, like, I don't know if you're following the news, but um, Elon Musk was saying, you know, I, I, I want you to say that you're hardcore if you're going to stay at Twitter. And if you're not, if you don't send me an email saying you're hardcore, you've effect, you've automatically resigned, right?
2: right? So I literally am going to have a conversation with with our marketing team, right? In, in the next yeah. week. And and one of the conversations is if you don't want to be elite, if you don't want to be world-class, if you don't want to be if a part be of a, if you don't want to be hardcore, right? A part of the marketing team that every fortune 500, every fortune 100 wants to come and hire you. Cause you're a part of this marketing team. They want to pay you millions of dollars to do what you do because you're a part of this marketing team. If that's not what you want to be, right? Then don't be here. And, 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 and that, that's one of the conversations because we have an elite marketing team here. We have one of the, I, such incredibly effing talented people here, right? But I think there's levels yeah. beyond where we're at, right? Good is not good enough, and I I, I say that all the time. And when you're talking to hardcore, it's not about being good; it's about being great. And there's a big difference between good, 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 good enough, and 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 great when it comes to um, the message we put out into in the, into the world. It's kind of a tough thing, but you know, when
1: when we put out our job listings um you know if you were to read our job listing it it is scary it scares away people because we tell them in the listing like hey you're gonna come here you're not gonna make a big salary you're you're not even gonna be at market and you're gonna work your ass off and if you don't you're gonna feel weird because everybody else around you is working their asses off and uh you know i mean i put that into words you know i'm very loosely paraphrasing here but you know and 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 the people who are willing to still apply you know (laughs) then you know you kind of you know that they read that and, you know, cause they have to, you know, there's like things down buried in the, in the job listing that if they don't do that, they just get cut automatically. So we know they got to the bottom of the job listing and, uh, and, and they made it through that gauntlet. And when they come in, you know, we, we kind of continue that conversation. So we look for people who are passionate, basically. Yeah, who are passionate I, I'd say and passionate, to work hard.
2: maybe even more than hardcore. I mean, the, the thing I saw yeah. with your people, right. They, that, that there wasn't like some angry, troll right building building vans right these are you know (laughs) enthusiasts right and they're excited and they're passionate about about the company they worked for and that's where our teams vibed very well when they met met you know at at the conference so um guys we're going to post links of about van mods in in the chat the descriptions just to make sure you have easy access to go check them out hey invest some capital with them i think at 250 dollar barrier to entry is awesome do more than that right um try to make you know pj's life easier so he can focus on growing the business and and the the profit margins that they need to do all right brother let's wrap up and i appreciate you man all right yeah
1: thank you yeah all right check the out podcast. the links
0: in the fun. description everybody Talk thank to you, soon, you for PJ. listening to the rad podcast explore wealth if you would like more information visit our website www.raddiversified.com that's www. Dot raddiversified.com. If you enjoyed what you're listening to, leave us a review and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. For more content, visit our YouTube channel, The Rad Podcast, Explore Wealth.